0: Hello, fellow nerds, and welcome to another episode of the Modern Health Nerd Podcast, where every week we bring you fascinating conversations with the movers, shakers, and innovators in food, health, agriculture, and everywhere in between. I'm your host, Teresa Sam Houghton, Chief Nerd at the Modern Health Nerd. This week I'm talking with Veronica Phil of Grounded Foods. In 2019, Veronica and her husband, fine dining chef Sean Quaid, decided to leave behind their lives, careers, and their restaurant in Australia to launch, wait for it, a plant-based cheese company. That's right. They went from the fine dining industry to the plant-based industry. They spent six months living in a little one-bedroom apartment right in the US while they were trying to close a funding round and launch their product. What is their product? It's a new kind of non-dairy cheese that Veronica says aims to fix the problem with dairy, and to answer the equal problem of dissatisfaction with existing non-dairy cheese options. Now, if you have been plant-based or been trying plant-based foods for any length of time, you know that some of the OG plant-based cheeses left a lot to be desired, and there's still a lot of growing to do in that category. Veronica and Sean through Grounded aim to change that. They're making their cheese out of upcycled ingredients, including cauliflower and one of nature's original superfoods, hemp. Veronica and I dig into a whole lot in this episode, so let's not waste any more time and dive right in to hear about the history of Grounded, what they're doing now, and how they plan to make a global impact and perhaps even dominate the world with plant-based cheese. If you enjoy this episode, please like it and leave us a review, rating, and share it with your fellow cheese-loving friends, because this one might just change the landscape of plant-based cheese. Now, my conversation with Veronica Phil. Well, Veronica, welcome to the podcast. I'm really excited to have you on. Thanks for joining me.
1: Absolutely. It's a pleasure.
0: So why don't you tell us a little bit about what you're doing with Grounded and what got you into it? What got you really interested not only in plant-based foods, but in plant-based cheese in particular?
1: Uh, I'm interested in things that have a big global impact. Uh, I'm an economist by trade, Uh, definitely have no experience in you know creating or manufacturing vegan cheese so far in my life Uh, but I did marry a very very innovative and very creative fine dining chef called Sean Quaid who a couple of years ago put a dish on the menu at our restaurant that happened to be a cheese made from potato at the time and he had it on there for a year before anyone realized that it wasn't real cheese Uh, And the only reason we found out is because he told us at the end of the day, and he'd just done it for his own laughs. He loves tricking people, um, tricking their taste buds and, you know, surprising them by getting them to eat really amazing looking and tasting dishes out of ingredients that they would never have expected. And part of that, I think, as being a fine dining chef is partly the creativity and also partly using up you know, stuff that would normally go to waste, like using every part of an ingredient, uh, just because fine dining margins are so slim that you kind of have to. Uh, But when I I first tasted this cheese, you know, I'd been eating it for the whole year. I'd never have suspected it wasn't real dairy. I'm not even vegan, so I'd be the first to call it out if I didn't think it tasted right. Um, But when I found that out, it was game over for me. I immediately knew that he'd done something huge. He had no idea at the time. He was just creating something fun for the menu. Uh, But the fact that it was completely free from allergens, it was lower in fat than normal dairy, and it had non-vegan diners coming in specifically requesting it because they loved this artisan cheese and wanted to know what farm he was getting it from. That meant he'd done something pretty unique. unique. Uh, But we then teamed up. We decided after a lot of discussion to completely leave the fine dining industry, walk away from our restaurant and double, do- double down on becoming plant-based cheese, mobiles. Uh, so him doing all of the R&D, um, I created the concept for a company. We put together a, a pitch deck, submitted it to an accelerator program. And a couple of weeks later we were in and it was game over. Um, lives completely reverse engineered and ended up in the US here to commercialize our products.
0: So that's interesting you said you're not vegan and yet this is something that you have literally you've had first into. What does your diet pattern look like in general? Are you more on the plant-based spectrum? Where are you at?
1: I was vegan for twenty five years. I at this point in time I've got quite severe autoimmune condition, which means that a lot of what I eat can't be absorbed and from a just because I can't survive on normal nutrients alone. I choose not to call myself vegan anymore. Um, I pretty much have to inhale absolutely everything just to get enough calories in. Uh, But I figured it doesn't mean that I don't think that vegan is the right way that people should be eating. (laughs) Um, I can't follow that to a T myself, but I figured I could do something in another way that would still keep, I guess, shifting consumer behavior in the right direction and not contributing to part of the problem. So when I decided on, you know, how I wanted this company to look, it was more around how do we, how do we stop contributing to the problem in the, in the food supply chain and how do we become part of the solution and at least gently nudge it in the right direction? You know, we don't expect people um, to buy grounded and like completely convert to being vegan or anything. We just encourage them to try it sometimes. Sometimes just have that instead of dairy. The more, the better, right? And
0: you also don't call yourselves vegan cheese. What was behind the decision to not do that?
1: To be honest, because I've not found a vegan cheese in the supermarket that I'm willing to put in my mouth a second time. Um, I love cheese. I will just buy dairy. Um, It's it just is not the same. No matter how many companies come out again and again and say it looks and tastes just like real cheese, it doesn't. Um, I think the problem is solved for vegan consumers that have, you know, put up with stuff that's tasty, but not exactly like cheese. Um, But the, the job is kind of done for them. They don't need convincing that that's the right way to eat. The people that do need convincing is the mainstream market, the mainstream consumers that would normally, you know, just pick up a bag of shredded mozzarella full of you know starches and modified ingredients and cellulose and stuff. That's the people that we're trying to target, and that f- for them, it's got to be taste. That's what's going to win them, and then price. So they're the two kind of major obstacles that we wanted to combat with our brand.
0: So how are you tackling those obstacles? Since you didn't find a cheese that fit your bill, and I can agree, I can sympathize with you there because i've been plant-based for about 11 years and yeah i tell people back in the day it was you could eat the plastic that came around the vegan cheese and that tasted better so what's different what's different about ground? Well, that's
1: what really shocked me because i did grow up on eating this stuff but like my parents were buying me plant-based cheese alternatives back in the 80s as a kid um, and nowadays when i taste the stuff in the supermarket i was just blown away that it still tastes the same as it did in the 80s not a lot has changed with these formulations. So you've got two, I think, different skews of the market. At one end, there's a lot of small artisan players making nut-based cheeses, and they, they can get some really, really tasty ones. Um, to you know, They're very varied, but it's not appealing enough, I think, for mainstream consumers as a replacement for cheese. It's more like a, you know, more like a blended paste. Um, whereas at the other end of the spectrum, there's the much cheaper ones like Dayer and Violife and these kind of brands. It's all the same formulation. It's coconut oil plus a starch. And sometimes they get creative with the starches with pea starch or potato starch, what have you. Um, and then, you know, often additives and artificial flavours. And sometimes they plug some nutrients in there as well. They fortify it. Um, but at the end of the day, it's always just reiterations on the, the same kinds of formulations. So I guess when a fine dining chef looks at it, he just decided, well, that that's not working because I'm not wanting to buy those products and I don't like the taste of them. So I'm just going to throw away the rule book and start from scratch using completely different ingredients, completely different process. I'll just make it up myself. Uh, so for my partner, Sean, he decided cauliflower and hemp Was the way to go. He experimented with lots of things. He tried potato, as I mentioned earlier, uh, but he very quickly realized that using potato wouldn't be scalable because that particular type of potato that he needed to create the cheese wasn't available year round and it was only available in certain regions. Uh, So, after a lot of trial and error, it just came down to honing in on cauliflower and hemp for multiple reasons. One, the dense nutritional value. Uh, So, it meant that automatically the Products are really, really high in calcium, really high in protein, antioxidants, omega-3 and six fatty acids, you know, fibre vitamins and minerals, all of these things that are naturally occurring in hemp and cauliflower. Uh, so that also meant that suddenly we don't have to artificially fortify it with anything. Uh, and also it's on par with dairy from day one. You know, we're no worse than dairy when it comes to calcium and protein and the other thing about it is that it's extremely sustainable ingredients to work with so we can use imperfect produce the stuff that can't go into supermarkets you know bruised heads of cauliflower stems leaves Uh, that makes it really really not only sustainable but also really scalable to do Um, which i think when you're approaching investors that's what they want to hear because it's one thing to be able to do it in a fine dining kitchen for you know for 50 diners a night it's another thing to be able to produce seven thousand pounds a day
0: (laughs) that was one of the things that drew me to your company first was this is different you know when you it said it was like cauliflower and hemp i was like this is really different and I happen to be a a big fan of both things, especially the hemp, like you said, because of its nutritional value. You can throw some hemp seeds in like a meal and it boosts the protein, it boosts the omegas. It's like instantaneous value add nutrition wise. Was that part of what you were going for to be able to be on par nutritionally with what consumers associate with dairy cheese?
1: In all honesty, I think from an R&D perspective, it wasn't our first intention. The focus for Sean was flavor. 100% it was to nail the flavour first and then work out everything else later. And it just so happened through this process of refining it that it ended up to be really dense in nutritional value as well. And we didn't even know that what he'd stumbled upon was so unique. At the time, you know, we just thought, hey, this is a really great tasting product. We can probably sell this to some local chefs uh, around Melbourne where we're from. And we had somehow become underground plant-based cheese makers back home, making it out of our home kitchen and selling it to other restaurants. Uh, but it wasn't until I think the investors started knocking on the door that we realised, hey, maybe this actually has more legs to it than we first realised. Uh, and then did some more research and started investigating, um, you know, the, the potential to patent the process that he'd created. And through that, realised that actually no one in the world has ever done this before. How is it that no one's done this? And why is like why is plant-based cheese not being made out of hemp right now? This is crazy. Uh, so we locked that pattern in pretty quickly.
0: <laughs> you gave us a little bit of an insight. Could you kind of walk us through a bit your your journey with this? Because I've been watching you guys since when I first discovered your website. I don't think you had even launched it. It was just kind of like something's coming soon. And it was this really... Really uh, mysterious kind of black layout with the white font. And I was like, this is something I got to know more about. So, how'd you get from that to where you are now? And really, what are you looking at for the future? Because vegan cheese is one of those things that, like you said, needs more perfecting. It needs more research and development into the flavor aspect to win over more mainstream consumers. Where have you been on that trajectory?
1: Yeah, we, we started the business in August 2019. As I said, it was. I wrote a business plan and a couple of weeks later, we got into the, an accelerator program. That was the Mars Seeds of Change one back in Australia. And um, Within a few weeks of that, I met a venture capitalist at a conference in Melbourne in Australia. And within, I think, seven days, it was done deal. We were on our way. We'd packed our bags, left Australia completely, left our families, our house, bundled up the dog and moved to New York to commercialise the products and we haven't gone, just never went home. (laughs) Uh, We were very, very lucky to scrape in with our visas for the US a week before the borders shut due to COVID, uh, which was extremely lucky because had that not happened, we could (laughs) have, the company could never have got to where it is today. We might have just been sent home again. Um, back to Australia and never been able to launch. But fortunately, we got in. um, It was kind of the peak of COVID that we started fundraising in order to launch the business and get into production. So that was a rather scary few months of thinking, like, this might completely fail. At the time, it was just me and my husband in a one-bedroom apartment in New York just freaking out 24-7, hand-making cheese and pitching every day to investors, just pitching, pitching, pitching. Uh, but we finally closed our fundraising round last August. It was led by Stray Dog Capital uh, and we immediately went into action. So we're right now, we've finally got our production date. We're launching next month, so we're really excited. Uh, we built out our team, we cranked up the engines and yeah, finally can see actual products in its final form. So super, super excited. And obviously from here, our our plan is well global domination as any, any CEO should say, right?
0: Going to take over the world with cheese.
1: Well, I think there is a a lot of space. I think what's interesting is that when you're pitching to investors, they're all looking for that one breakthrough company that can fix the vegan cheese problem, right? And I think a lot of them think that we might just be that company, which is, you know, very exciting for us to hear. Uh, but the thing is, there's hundreds of styles of cheese in the world. They're all different. You know, you've got, Ricotta, you've got cream cheeses, you've got parmesan, hard cheeses, you know, table cheeses, stretchy cheeses, and melty cheeses. You can't kind of create all of those just with the one formulation and the one product. So there is so much space in this industry for many different companies to come in and do fantastic products of different styles of cheese. Like it doesn't just have to be that one company that does everything and, you know, dominates the market in the end. So I think there's a lot of room to grow here.
0: Yeah, I know there's some other companies who are doing some interesting thing. I know like Please is doing pizza cheese right now. And I, I hear a lot about it because I'm, you know, I'm in upstate New York and they're down in, in the city. So see a lot about that going around. But like you said, you know, if one company tried to do everything, I don't I don't think they'd be able to focus on making it really, really good. So if you have a bunch of companies kind of working together.
1: Exactly. And that's why ViaLife exists.
0: <laughs> so. With everything that you've been doing and this journey that you've been on, how do you feel like you're contributing to a better food landscape? You mentioned a little bit about wanting to do so.
1: Yeah, I think it, the key, just coming from a behavioral economics perspective, is how do we nudge people into making better, healthier decisions that benefit them? It benefits the environment, benefits their bodies, benefits our community. Um in a way that they don't necessarily realize or in a way that it's not detracting from their lifestyle. It's not making them feel like they're giving up anything or missing out on anything. Uh, So if you can really, I think, create a product that's more accessible and more appealing to people just through its sheer novelty, through its sheer flavor, its great taste, then they're just going to want to buy it. It doesn't need to be labelled as a vegan. It doesn't need to necessarily harp on about its sustainability aspect. It's just got to be desirable, number one. Uh, And if you can achieve that, then consumer behaviour is most likely to move with that. So that's really our goal. If we can, at the end of the day, if we can trick people into eating vegan cheese (laughs) and loving it, then that's, that's the whole focus for us.
0: I love that because it goes along with some of what I've actually been writing in my newsletter lately is that so many of the brands are they're so excited about being sustainable. They're so excited about being dairy free. They're so excited about being vegan. And that's cool. But that's not what's really gonna grab the larger market. It'll grab people like me, but
1: <laughs> And that that's the thing. Someone like you doesn't need to be educated. Like you don't need to be converted because you already understand how to how to eat, you understand nutrition, you understand sustainability. But unfortunately, as much as we would like to say that everyone has those goals, the the majority of people just don't care. Um, they'll go for products because they're cheap, they're affordable, they're easy, they're convenient, um, they're tasty. And so that's really what, you know, that, that's the market that we're trying to accommodate. And we're not necessarily trying to make them give up anything. We're not trying to convince them to go vegan, we're just saying, hey, if you enjoy this, then buy m- more of this and less of the the less healthy, less sustainable options.
0: I feel like if we can get more people to do exactly what you just said, then the education on everything else will follow. Because interestingly enough, like for me, when I went plant-based, it was health reasons. And one of the reasons was actually because I'm massively lactose intolerant. And that was a problem. I, and I thought, well, if I go from vegetarian to vegan, then I don't have to worry about the, about the dairy stuff. But then I started to learn about the problems with factory farming and the health you know the real serious health implications and that that had not been my impetus but now it really it's one of the things that keeps me vegan so do, do you feel like if pe- people go for the taste then the education will follow
1: i think it's actually going to largely come from the next generation because they've had their environment so you know just so annihilated um and been it kind of inherited this earth that is so screwed up at this point that they're just not willing to put up with the current food system as it stands. Uh, and I think that that real change is going to come from the next generation, and older generations will slowly trickle into that way of thinking. Um, the education will slowly trickle back to them. But it, it's really, yeah, as I said, coming from. This younger set that's already educated from the get go, and they're probably going to re-educate us.
0: Actually, now that I I just turned thirty six recently, so now I'm looking at Gen Z, and I'm like, when did this generation gap happen? How did I not? How am I not like a young person anymore? anymore?" (laughs) But and I'm looking at the influence that they're having, and I'm thinking, this is this is not something that I personally could have seen coming because I'm like right at the cusp between when we wrote stuff on paper and we did stuff on our computers, and now. And the difference is amazing. So how do, how do you see that happening like in your estimation? Like how do you see the ed, the younger generation educating the older generations as time goes on? I think
1: on? that you'll find a lot of resistance. Sean and I are around the same age as you, so we're like the elder millennials that still remember what it was like when the internet you know started and we first got the internet, we first got mobile phones. It's a really unique generation, right? And now suddenly I'm having a because I'm doing all the marketing for our business as well, I'm having to hop onto TikTok and, you know, create a troll account posing as a 16-year-old so that I can start to understand the psyche of my audience <laughs> and start to understand this language that they're using. I've got a map on my wall of like a, a glossary of Gen Z language just so that I can understand what they're talking about on TikTok um, and starting to relearn my copywriting so that I know how <laughs> How to address people. Um, it, it's really interesting. I, I think some people will embrace that. Um, some people want to hear the voice of you know youngsters and new ideas and then you're going to get a pushback from older generations as well that will just immediately hate everything that young people have to say, resist it, resist change. Um, we see it, I, I think we classically say OK Boomer because it's like the older the generations get, it seems like the less embrace embracive they are of changing their dietary habits you know understanding the implications of climate change and this kind of thing um, so it's still a long journey I think but eventually eventually I think there'll be so many Gen Z's controlling <laughs> controlling the world uh, that we'll just have to kind of slip into line not a bad thing
0: that's a glossary I'd like to see sometime because uh, <laughs> I'll have to send ser- it to you. <laughs> yeah, seriously, I'd love I'd love to see that because I I have some I have a couple of friends who are in that generation and I don't necessarily un- understand what's going through their heads and I think I would like to understand a little bit better. So exactly, exactly.
1: Spend fifteen minutes on a TikTok and you you just kind of get stunned. Like I, I don't know who I am anymore. I feel so old. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, seriously, I think I spent like eight minutes on TikTok once and I'm like, I'm never getting those minutes back. I want them back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so with all this going on, what do you what do you feel is the next area where we really need to focus in the food system, the future of food, the plant-based movement?
1: Uh, pricing, I think is really important across the board. I think that a lot of companies are now turning around to addressing the more flexitarian market, um, largely because that's obviously a much bigger market share. I think any there's a struggle for some companies that I think started out with very aggressive vegan branding and now they're getting somewhat alienated and pigeonholed as the vegan company. Um, it's really difficult to break out of that and then reach a mainstream audience because, as we all know, a lot of People immediately are put off when they hear, hear that a product is vegan. It for some reason, there's a perception there that it's not going to taste as good or that it's, you know, birdseed or something something like that. Uh, so I think there's going to be a lot of difficulty for some of those early early brands to kind of break out of that, that perception and reach a more widespread audience. Um, and at the same time, I'm seeing a lot more new brands come onto the market where from day one, they're going for... The more general market with flexitarian options, you know, often not putting the word vegan on their packaging, like we don't do that either, Uh, but it's just inherently plant-based. I think the other big thing that we're going to start seeing is prices dropping. So for us, that was one real, real barrier that we wanted to overcome with our products. And partly the strategy around the cauliflower and the hemp seed was, you know, it's such extraordinarily low cost of goods. Um, so cheap to manufacture that it means we can get this on the market at a a price point that's so incredibly competitive with dairy Um, definitely not as expensive as nuts to work with much much more scalable Uh, and if we can achieve that it means that there's you know one less barrier there that would stop someone from trying a plant-based option for the first time I think the cell-based stuff is really exciting as well. But again, the price point, the scalability just means that's something that is not going to be achievable for quite some time yet. Uh, so for us working with you know, just ingredients that come from the ground, because we clearly haven't explored the full potential of just vegetables yet, uh, that was a really exciting and immediate opportunity for us.
0: So kind of lowering the barrier to entry for people so that when they see it on the shelf, they're like, hey, this sounds good. And then they don't look at the price tag and go <laughs> sticker shock.
1: Exactly. Well, if you think about all of it's already so difficult to get people to change their habits. So what are all of the reasons why someone might, might not pick up that product and buy it for the first time? And how can we, how many of those reasons can we remove? How many can we address? Uh, just to make it a really easy decision for them.
0: And so you, you mentioned, I'm going to go back to what, something you just said about you haven't explored the full potential of all the vegetables. Do you have plans to play with more vegetables in the future?
1: Oh, absolutely. We're, we've already got a whole new, we've got a whole second brand. But we'll follow. <laughs> we'll launch later down the track. But we need to get the first one on the market first.
0: Well, I love it when people are innovative because one of the things I at, way back in the day I was actually a vegan food blogger, and that is like super innovative space, or at least it was. I think it, it's become a little more repetitive now. But back in the day, you got some super innovative people going on. Now we've got it coming out in in brands like what you're doing.
1: I think we have to keep coming up with more innovation because if I didn't keep Sean as my R and D chef, kind of thinking creatively and having that outlet he'd just get bored so it's it's not even an option Um, for him it's the excitement of always coming up with something different something unique something that's never been done before so our, our ethos is always looking for new ingredients or underutilized ingredients I guess that haven't been fully explored to the maximum potential and finding new applications for them.
0: You mentioned too that because of what you, the because of the way you do things, you can use the imperfect produce. I see that as a benefit because I've, so food waste is my soapbox. Do you see that one is like a benefit maybe for branding in addition to a benefit for environment? And do you have any n- any numbers off the top of your head of, of the kind of saving that you're able to do by using those instead of having them get? off? Yeah, I
1: can tell you that we make absolutely no savings from doing that. It's an expense for us. It massively increases the cost for us to use imperfect produce. it's We do it because that's what we believe. We're a sustainability-focused brand. But there is so much backwards infrastructure around it and so many... Like the infrastructure is just not there for people to make environmentally sound decisions in the marketplace. It is far more... It's extremely expensive, put it this way, for farmers to get imperfect produce to us or produce that would normally go to waste than it would be just to put it in a landfill and so 99% of the time that's what happens I've seen it I think most blatantly in the banana industry like they just have landfills full of bananas because they, they can't get it it's not you know it's an imperfect shape or it's got one slight you know black mark on it and everything just ends up in landfill it's completely crazy uh, but because there's so much regulation and lack of infrastructure around this, it, it's just impossible for farmers to do anything with it. It's too expensive for them to do it. Uh, so for us at the moment, it's a cost. Uh, we're part of the Upcycled Foods Association who are they're at the moment putting together a certification for upcycled foods to be recognised. Uh, and I think they're taking taking input from the public as well around how to develop this certification but part of the work that they're doing is addressing these problems and working out like how can we help businesses actually utilize ingredients like this and make it viable
0: i'm glad to hear that because the next thing i was going to say it sounds like we really need to address that because that's 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 severely broken there's absolutely no reason i mean people starving around the world that we're just dumping stuff that's why it's a soapbox topic for me and that's why i'm glad that there are companies doing what you're doing and and even I didn't know it was that much of an expense. That's insane. Uh, I mean, that's that's insane. It should be easier. It should be easier to get that. If it's not going to wind up in the grocery store, the farmers should be able to get money for it, and you guys should be able to, to use it without it being this big. Wow, yeah. I could have a whole like, <laughs> like
1: three month series on that's, this. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> and I've been crazy. on a lot of, um, listened in on a lot of Clubhouse discussions lately about this exact topic. It's a big problem for restaurants as well because you can imagine there's a lot of waste um, that would come out of restaurants too and there is just a huge lack of places where who will accept the ingredients the products the the waste and produce because there's so much regulation around it clearly Uh, so it's a real issue in all aspects of the industry
0: yeah i agree because i'm the person who goes to the farmer's market and i ask the people do you have any seconds and they're like yeah we got a box back there and i look at it and it's like there's nothing wrong with this why is this seconds like, I feel bad taking it. Like, they give it to me for free and I feel bad taking it. I'm like, I should be paying you for this.
1: It's perfect. I'm that person as well that just rocks up at the end of the, the day at the market when they're just throwing everything away because they can't be bothered packing it back into the truck and will collect everything up and scoop it all up to take away. <laughs> I just, I cannot bear seeing food wasted. I just love food so <laughs> much.
0: I hear you. And actually, now now that you said that, I can see that possibly being inspiration for future cheese. Like, hey, look at this stuff we got at the market. Let's make cheese out of it or something. So we're talking about this. This is probably a good place for me to drop my big ending question as I wrap up the podcast here. This is my, this is my sky's the limit question that I ask everyone. If you had unlimited power and unlimited resources, and you could bring about one change in our modern food system, what would you do?
1: I actually don't know how to answer that. <laughs> its I think it has to be education. Um, I'm trying to think of the thing that would have the biggest impact for the longest time. And unless, unless everyone understood the implications of what's going on, um, You know, for instance, you didn't even realise the situation with not being able to even purchase upcycled ingredients a lot of the time. So unless everyone knows that and understands where their food is coming from, how it's made, um, the barriers that are stopping us from being able to have a better system in the first place, then we can't really expect things to change. Uh, For for too long, it's just, you know, these infrastructures are created because as an economy evolves, everything becomes more standardised, more efficient, cuts costs more, um, and at the end of the day, we just end up with this really broken and bastardised system um, that's no longer, you know, our food system at the moment is hardly like real food anymore. There's so much, you know, artificial fakeness going on there and really, really just complex, illogical regulations in place Um, but unless the public understand that then we can't expect we can't expect a few you know one percent of the food industry to petition against it and expect the world to change
0: it sounds like we really need both companies that are doing the innovation and a kind of a grassroots movement almost on a consumer level like going back to what you were saying about gen z but at a broader scale
1: Yeah, and I think we're seeing that now. I think there's definitely starting to become a big pushback against big food manufacturers. I think they're rapidly losing market share. Not that it would make much of a dent to them right now because their market shares are already pretty insane. But I do believe that we're increasingly going to see people moving towards small independent businesses and it's absolutely critical that we support them because if we don't, the current status quo will just be perpetuated Um, unless these disruptive companies can you know get their foot in the door actually start doing things with sustainability in mind and not just massive profits then nothing will ever change
0: i'm hearing to not only buy innovative but buy local support your small people and i'm going to add in there support your farmers
1: support your support (laughs) your farmers to start you know transitioning to growing oats and hemp and cauliflower not cattle <laughs>
0: <laughs> and the ones that are already doing the regenerative and are doing the things that put stuff back into the soil and regenerate our environment definitely support those too so and if we could get more businesses that are able to support those that would just be like we could have another conversation just about this for like
1: another hour <laughs> absolutely and i think that the dairy industry i mean dairy farmers have been hit hard for a long time it's a very difficult, difficult industry for them to be in. They don't get paid fairly for the work that they put in and the resources that go into to what they do. So to me, it just makes complete sense um, that we could partner with dairy farmers to start transitioning them so that they can benefit from the plant-based economy
0: agreed uh especially that going back to the education piece more people should know about that too because i feel i feel like a lot of the times because the meat industry and the dairy industry get kind of demonized in the plant-based space that unintentionally we demonize just people who are farming and it's like don't realize that they're barely making a living and some of them are in massive debt like more often than not so we need to we need to exactly look at yeah i agree you need to look at partnering and, and helping them out to do something that's gonna be more sustainable for the long term and better for their health and everyone else absolutely well it's been really great having you on can you uh, let us know where listeners can find you where listeners can follow you online and where they can be looking for because this is this is gonna air in this is gonna air in the spring because I'm already that far out so you'll be you'll be launched by the time this airs so where people should be keeping an eye out for you, to actually buy your products as well.
1: They'll be able to buy our products on our website at www.groundedfoods.com and we'll have all of our retail stockers listed on the website as well. And where are you on social media? On Instagram, grounded underscore foods.
0: Thank you so much, Veronica. And uh, I'd love to have another conversation and continue some of the threads we didn't get to finish up here today. So I'll have you back sometime. Thanks for having me. Big thanks to Veronica for being on the podcast. I had a lot of fun talking to her and learning a little bit more about what's behind grounded foods and frankly, getting up on my soapbox a bit about food waste. That's definitely a topic I want to dig into more on this podcast in the future. But that's all the time we have for today's episode. Thanks again for joining me here on the Modern Health Nerd Podcast. And if you're enjoying this, do please give us a rating and a review on whatever platform you enjoy podcasts through. See you next week for yet another episode. And until then, stay nerdy.